This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. What if I told you that there is someone in our midst that we know, and in that family there's a relative who committed incest? What if I told you in you know that same person that we know also in that same family they have prostitutes? Now, of course, the person that we are talking about is Jesus, and how in the family tree of Jesus, <clears throat> Matthew lays it all out. Uh, the women that he names there are all women of uh, dubious character. The women in Jesus' family tree that are of noble character, the, the matriarchs, you know, like Sarah, uh, Rebecca, he doesn't name, but he puts these names here. What is Matthew trying to teach us? Uh, Janice did very well, uh, but we need to ask God to help us to understand what he wants us to understand from this chapter. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that we have come to this point of your word, that we are given this privilege of studying this book of Matthew's gospel together. And you have inspired him to begin this way for a good reason. And we pray, Father, that by your spirit, please teach us, please work in our hearts. Cause us to see, cause us to trust the Lord Jesus and all that he has done. We pray in his name. Amen. You can see in your bulletin uh, three simple points that I trust come from the passage, all beginning with F and all ending okay, with an exclamation mark. So the first one, fulfillment. And Chia uh, Jing, our guitarist, said to me, that after doing the Bible overview, when he reads the first line of uh, Matthew's Gospel, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It all makes so much sense. Because having done the Bible overview, which uh, you know many of us in this congregation have done, just seeing those words, seeing those names, Son of David, son of Abraham, all make sense because we've seen how God in his purposes made promises to Abraham, made promises to David that now find fulfillment in Jesus. And so right at the start of Matthew's gospel, right at the beginning of the New Testament, the first words of the New Testament are these, that the family tree of Jesus and this Jesus is the Messiah, and he, is, he fulfills what is needed to be the Messiah because he is from the line of David, he is from the line of Abraham. Two men, David, Abraham, two promises that God made to them. You might remember that all the way back at the beginning, God made a perfect world, but that perfect world fell into sin. And since then, God has been on a restoration mission, a rescue mission to restore and to redeem. And what he did right at the beginning was to make a promise to Abraham. And how in that promise to Abraham was God promising that he would right the wrong. He would reverse the fall. 
And instead of the cursing that came at the fall, he would reverse it and bring blessing instead, which is why he promised Abraham that through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Instead of curse, which we are all under because of the fall, because of sin, there can be blessing. And how will blessing come? Uh, God says to him in Genesis 22 verse 18, through your offspring, Abraham, blessing will come. And so that's why it is so important that Matthew establishes that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. But as the story continues, we come to David. And you might remember in our Bible overview that as we as we journey to David, it became clearer and clearer that we could do nothing to save ourselves and how God's promises would be fulfilled, how God would right the wrong, how God would reverse the fall, how God would keep his promise would now be done through a king. That a king would have the, uh, the, 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 uh, a special place in how God would fulfill his promise. And so God said to David, God made the promise to David that one of your offspring, he will be the king that will reign forever. He will be the king that will reign on your throne, David's throne. He will be the king that will make God's promises come into fulfillment. And so that's why it is so important that Matthew establishes that Jesus is from the line of David. Because it is David's offspring who would be that forever king. Which is what Messiah means. Jesus, the Messiah, or in some of your translations, Jesus the Christ. Christ, Messiah, anointed one. They all mean the same thing. Christ is just uh, in Greek. Messiah is just uh, the word in Hebrew. Anointed one is just the word in English. So what does anointed one mean? Kings in the Old Testament were anointed, anointed with oil. That's uh, what it means. And so that term began to uh, bear significance for not just any king, but for the king, the king that because of the promise made to David, we are all waiting and expecting. The anointed one, the forever king, who will come and fulfill the promises God made to Abraham, the promises God made to David. And so Matthew is saying, this is the one, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, and he can be the one because he is from the line of David and of Abraham. Fulfillment, exclamation mark. That is what Matthew wants us to see. But then in his uh, genealogy of uh, Jesus, we meet five women, as I said. And, uh, you know, if the, the, the Jewish man was anything like a, a Korean man, he would look at Jesus' family tree here and do the Korean thing of... <coughs> uh, which, if you watch enough Korean drama, that's how the Korean elderly man expresses his disapproval. <coughs> because of the women that are named in this family tree. We meet the first one who is Tamar. And we are told in verse 3, Judah, who is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
And it was quite funny at uh, Bible study when we divided the women out for each one of the Bible study members to do research on. Uh, Wesley, who is quite a new Christian, uh, chose Tamar. And when I saw him reading the story, his face was like, yeah, because it's his first time reading. And then he's like, what's happening? Because Tamar dresses up as a prostitute in order to sleep with her father-in-law, Judah. And she does this because she wants to have uh, uh, offspring. Okay? And when uh, Judah discovers this, she says, okay, okay, you are more righteous because Judah would not give his son, uh, younger son to her, which he should have done. But there's all this you know, incestuous sleeping around going on. And this is in Jesus' family tree. And the next woman who is named is Rahab in verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, Rahab is a Canaanite, and Rahab did not even pretend to be a prostitute. She was a true blue uh, shrine prostitute. And what a shrine prostitute is, is that in uh, the religion of the Canaanites, in order for uh, people to enjoy fertile land, they would worship the fertility gods, and they would have shrine prostitutes uh, in order to cause the land to be more uh, fertile. And so Rahab uh, was one of those shrine prostitutes, and uh, you might remember that God sent the Israelites, and his purpose for sending them was to destroy, to judge the Canaanites. And Rahab was one of those people. Uh, she belonged to that religion, she belonged to that people, uh, but because she hit some of the spies, uh, she was saved. And so she went on to be one of the great-grandmothers of King David. And then the next person who is named is uh, Ruth. In verse uh, 5 as well, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So those of us who went to church camp, we are familiar. We've been reminded of the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, in a sense, is the most commendable woman among uh, you know, the, the ones here. Uh, because in the book of Ruth, she is commended. But the problem with Ruth is that she is still a foreigner. She is a Moabitess. Now, um, you will probably forget how the Moabites came along. But the Moabites came from the line of Lot. So after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Lot's wife, you know, oh, my cooking books, and she turned back, and then she became a pillar of salt, right? So uh, only Lot and his daughters were saved, and his daughters were like, oh, you know, who's going to marry us now? And so they made the father drunk, and they slept with the father, and it was through that incestuous union that the Moabites came about. And the Moabites have a colorful history with uh, Israel. They were the ones who, you know, didn't want to give water to them. And, you know, Moabite women were the ones who led the Israelites' men astray and led to terrible idolatry, led to a great plague. And so Ruth is a Moabitess. And she finds herself as well in uh, Jesus' family line. And then the next woman, the fourth woman, is not named by name, uh, but we see her there in verse 6. Uh, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Matthew 
uses this way, uh, of course he's referring to Bathsheba, but he reminds us that Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. Uriah that King David murdered. And he murdered him because he wanted to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba and because he wanted to have Bathsheba all to himself. See, all this in uh, Jesus' family tree, all this in his uh, relatives. And then the last woman is Mary. And we find out from the responsive reading that Mary was pledged to be married. She was engaged to Joseph. But in the engagement period before they got married, somehow she's found to have child. And so obviously, you know, Joseph assumes what, you know, anyone of us would naturally assume that she had been with another man and therefore now became pregnant. And so there's all this scandal in the family tree of Jesus. Why does Matthew deliberately record these five women in the family tree of Jesus? I don't normally uh, show slides, but this one is uh, how I think best expresses why Matthew deliberately puts these names in. Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, scandalous, and foreigner, because the family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. And so Matthew doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to, you know, paper over all the skeletons in the closet. He, he just lets it all out. He bears it out. Why? Because he understands that this Jesus is that forever king. This Jesus is the one that fulfills the promises to Abraham and David. He is the one who has come to save. This is why Joseph was commanded to give him the name Jesus, because he will be the one who will save us from our sins. He doesn't just come for those who are the elite. He doesn't just come for those who have, okay, they have checked the majority of boxes. He doesn't just come for the ones who, okay, you have really tried your best, okay, and then compared to everyone else, you know, your record is considered speak and span. No, he comes for the broken. He comes for those who know they have made a right mess of their lives. He comes for those who, in any human perspective, have lost all hope. He comes to save us from our sins. And so Jesus has this colorful family tree because the people that he intends to bring into his family, the people that he intends to give the privilege to call God Father are the same outcasts, the people who have scandal after scandal in their lives, the people who are foreigners, the people who do not deserve, merit no inclusion. Jesus has come for these people. He has come to make these people his own. And so that's why at the end of Matthew's Gospel, this Jesus gives the great commission. You who have known me, you who have known what I've come to do, you who have experienced my power to change you and my power to make you, bring you 
into the family of God, my, my, my power to give you the right to call God Abba Father. Go. Go into all the nations. Don't just go to those who, who, who think that they are right with me. Don't just go to the ones who are, are seeking me, but go to all the nations. Proclaim this gospel that the fulfillment of the ages has come. The promise made to Abraham and to David, his, this offspring has now come. And anyone who receives his invitation can come in. Anyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior can come in, no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. You can call God Father. Fulfillment, five women. And the last point, flesh, flesh. So we are told in the responsive reading that uh, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. Okay, we've already said, you know, Mary, she's a virgin. She did not sleep with anyone. Right? She wasn't unfaithful to Joseph, but she was found to be with child. And Matthew tells us that she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, but of course, Joseph doesn't know this, right? And so, you know, he's, he's in agony and he's thinking, oh, you know, I, I thought she was a sweet girl, but how could she do this to me? And then she's, okay, okay, but okay, I want to do the right thing. And he wants to divorce her because he cannot marry an adulteress. Right? That would be against the law. And so he uh, also wants to spare uh, Mary from uh, being stoned and being publicly disgraced. So he, he just wanted to divorce her quietly. Okay, after sleepless night, after sleepless night of agonizing after this. But uh, one of those nights, the Lord through an angel appears to him and the angel gives him this word. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now we hear this story and we celebrate it every Christmas, you know, just recently last year. And so what, what is the significance of this? The significance is flesh. Flesh. Because Matthew makes it clear that uh, many, any number of significant uh, implications flow from Mary being virgin. But the one that he wants us to focus on is in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Many implications from Mary being a virgin, many implications but the one that Matthew wants us to focus on is that all this took place to fulfill what was written in Isaiah 7, 700 over years ago. That this is to fulfill that prophecy that God will be with us. And God with us is not just God being present. You know, God 
fighting our battles for us. When Isaiah wrote this, and when the people read this in Isaiah chapter 7, they had no inkling that what God meant through this prophecy is that God himself would come in the flesh. That God would come and dwell with us physically, literally. God would take on flesh. This is one of the most profound and amazing miracles that God, the divine, the the one who is uncreated, the one who is self-existing, the one who creates everything else, would condescend and come to live with his people and take on flesh. So all this to make the point that Jesus fully God and fully human. This is why he can be the one who will save us from all our sins. Fully human. Because it is us, humanity, who has sinned against God. And so Jesus must come fully human to take our place. But he must be fully God so that his one sacrifice, the one giving of his life, the shedding of his blood would be sufficient to save all of God's people. He needs to come to be fully human so that he can take our place, represent us, be our substitute. But he must be fully God so that his one sacrifice and his one sacrifice alone for all time would be the sufficient sacrifice to save us from our sins. And all this, Matthew seeks to tell us, seeks to uh, you know, get us expectantly going on in his gospel to find out, to dig into. Fulfillment. Five women. Flesh. What does this mean for us? The best way I have of trying to convey uh, what struck me most about the passage is if you imagine this bottle right back at the beginning of our Bible overview when God made promises. Made the promises to Abraham. It's like the, the, the bottle is given. And then as Abraham and his descendants experience fulfillment of those promises, it's as if the bottle is being filled. So the bottle represents the the promises. And then as God gives substance, as God fulfills the promise, the water in the bottle increases. And then when you come to David, you know, oh, there's, there's, you know, the land is, is uh, occupied and then he's at the height of, you know, the, the conquest and there's peace and prosperity. Oh, you know, there's, there's more and more water. Now, sometimes we think that at our stage, that right here now, the bottle is only, you know, still two-thirds full. But I want you to see in all the 14, 14, 14 generations, the list of names that Matthew has given us. It covers the span from, you know, all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, all the way back to the time of Jesus. And in all this time, God has been at work. God has been steadily 
filling up this bottle. He has been steadily giving substance to his promises. Such that when we come to the birth of Jesus, when we come to the Jesus event, with Jesus coming, fully God, fully human, living the sinner's life and going to the cross, when we come to the Jesus event, even though there may still be, who knows, how many more years before he returns, because Jesus has come, the water level, if you can imagine it, has reached the top. Now, have you played that game before, you know, at a party game? You know, you, you, you play the game where, okay, the one who makes the water spill out is the loser. And so people kept, kept you know, uh, keep adding water, adding water, and then you come to the brim. But you know that when you come to the brim, you can still add water. So it comes to the brim, it looks as if it's full already, but then you can just take, you know, some drops of water, then you add two, three drops. It doesn't spill. And then the next person comes, he, he adds two, three drops, and then, you know, the surface tension is just going up, but it doesn't spill. With the coming of Jesus, with regards to the fulfillment of God's promises, we are at that point. It's just a two, three more drops before the new creations come. It's just two, three more drops before God writes everything, before we come to that point where He wipes away every tear when sin is no more. Yes, it may not feel like it. Yes, it may feel that we are constantly battling with our sin. Yes, it may feel as if God's promises, you know, where, what's happening? What's happening to my life now? Yes, it may feel that way. But God is not slow in keeping His promise. God will fulfill. And he's, we have come to the point at the brim. Because fulfillment has come. Jesus has come. The son of Abraham. Son of David. He's now here. He's gone to the cross. And He is now making the outcasts, the scandalous, the foreigners, bringing us all into His family. And it's just two, three more drops before full, final fulfillment is reached. And we rejoice with all God's people, praising the Lamb on the throne. We are at that point. So whatever is happening in your life now, don't lose faith. Trust Him. He is returning. The end is near. May God help us to persevere. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.